and welcome to mini episode 163 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from the 17th of January 2022. And story number one comes from Alva. I decided to go back through your early episodes and in one about the silent twins you mentioned briefly something about waiting to be born and it reminded me of one of the many weird things my youngest has said to me when she was little. So when she was a toddler, she would tell me things like how her last house had sash windows and she had ladies who dressed her. Lots of stuff like that. However, the one thing that stood out was she one day told me a story. Now keep in mind she was preschool age here. She asked me why I left her alone in the cold for so long. When I asked her what on earth she was talking about, she said that before she got here, She and her two sisters were waiting for me. It was cold and dark, but they were together. Her eldest sister left, and then my middle girl left just after. They are Irish twins. She said she was alone in the cold and the dark for ages, waiting for her turn. There is a five-year age gap between them. She was genuinely upset, but she was no more than four years old at the time. As she got older, she would mention less and less about where she was before, as she put it. But what toddler knows about sash windows, maids to dress people, and whatever the fuck kind of limbo she was apparently waiting in? So maybe you were right. Maybe we do sit around somewhere waiting to be born. Of all things paranormal and spooky, if scientists turned around and said, we have irrevocably proven that children, or people in general, have had past lives. I would not be remotely surprised. Not even a little bit. Sash windows, it's just not a phrase or a term that a child is going to know, like a toddler. They have no reason to understand what sash windows are, unless they have a pastime of watching loads of grand designs, which I'm pretty sure they don't. And I don't know why, but this idea of sitting in like a cold, dark place waiting to be born freaks me out so much. (laughs) Like that really scares me. I think probably more than anything else. I don't want or need a period of time where I'm just sitting in the equivalent of the worst waiting room in the world waiting for my parents to have sex. No thank you. And story number two comes from Z. Over the last few months my son has continued to be his creepy little self. He is now five. He's been seeing things his entire life. When I was pregnant with him, we lived in an apartment and I would see an older woman walk from my room across our very short hallway to what would be my son's room. When he was about six months old, he started watching corners and would randomly jump and start screaming like something had scared him. We moved into a house when he was about a year old. When he was two, he saw Mr. Owie Eyes, which was the previous story that I sent in, and we had several other weird incidences. I don't remember how much was mentioned in my last email, but his room always had a horrible feeling to it. He refused to sleep anywhere but that room. His closet light, that he couldn't reach, would turn itself on and the door would open on its own. I eventually locked that door, but the light would still turn on by itself. Something also chased my ex-husband's dog through the downstairs. Some watchdog he was. He hid behind me and barked at something I couldn't see with his tail between his legs. Very sweet dog, but not the bravest. 
We've now moved to Colorado. We live in a trailer house that was bought brand new by my fiancé's mother. No one has lived in this house aside from his family. My fiancé told me that he started hearing footsteps and things shortly after his mom moved out of the house and has heard odd noises and screams from the field behind the house. He wouldn't go into detail about anything more than that. A few months back, my son begged to be allowed to stand on the porch at sunset to watch the streetlights come on, so that he knew it was actually bedtime and I wasn't making him sleep too early. So I took him and his younger sister outside. She's three. She was pointing up to the sky and giggling about the stars and the streetlights. My son got very, very quiet and was glued to my side, staring at the back fence, saying, Mommy? Very quietly. I asked him what was wrong because he never called me Mommy. I've always been Mom Mom or Mom. He looked at me, very concerned, and told me, Mommy, something came through the fence. I thought at first maybe he'd seen an animal, but I could not see anything, and he kept insisting it was still there, looking at us. He insisted it came through the fence, not over it. I asked him what it looked like, and he didn't know, beyond, it's darker than the sky and has stars for eyes, and that it wanted to come into our house. I told him it was not allowed to come into our house, and it would have to find somewhere else to go, and we went inside. I thought that was going to be the end of it, and saged the house just in case. I've been fixing up our house putting in a new floor and painting and things. My cousin has been here a lot helping me. While we were putting the floor in, she kept feeling like something had poked her in the back of the leg when she was walking around and behind her shoulder while she was sitting on the floor. She said it felt like a really big dog sniffing her. I was in the kitchen talking to her and felt something whack against the back of my leg. I yelled, stop it, thinking it was one of my children and turned around and no one was behind me. When I turned around, she also felt something large brush past her. She's also mentioned, without me telling her about the thing with stars for eyes, that my yard feels weird. She said she doesn't feel safe when she's outside here. The house feels fine, but once she's outside, it feels like something angry is watching her and wants to hurt her. She's also said she gets kidnapping vibes outside my house. Like someone is going to try and take one of our kids and she does a head count the minute she gets all of hers in the car. She doesn't feel like they're safe until she's driven a ways down the street. Earlier this week she was over, and we were dyeing each other's hair. She mentioned seeing orbs over by my kitchen window. When she pointed to show me where, I saw a big flash out of the corner of my eye like a camera flash. Last night at bedtime, my son asked me to spray extra Woo in a bottle. My fiancé grew up watching wrestling and apparently he and his brother are big Ric Flair fans. He at one point convinced my son that if you yelled Woo! really loud under the bed and in the closet it scares monsters away. He eventually got tired of having to yell woo a hundred times at bedtime and created our version of monster spray because he was afraid of the bad doggy guys. I asked who they were, and I got this in response. When I was at Grandma's, I saw bad guys. Big, black, doggy bad guys on two legs, 
they trapped little boys and girls. The little boys and girls are stuck under grandma's house and they scare me. They keep asking me to get them out, but I don't know how and they scare me. I think the bad guys might come here. I see them in my dreams. He says he can see the bad guys' paw prints all over grandma's yard. I messaged his grandma, knowing she would probably think I was silly, and asked if he'd said anything to her about this. Apparently my three and five-year-olds were having entire conversations with her living room floor while they were there. They kept talking about bad guys leaving footprints and asking if it was okay to share the toys with the children under the floor. I asked my daughter about the kids at grandma's and she told me, Oh, they're here too. They came with us. I share my unicorn with them because they're nice. They protect us from the bad puppy dog guys with the big white lights. I asked her about the bad guys also. She told me they have big black eyes and red things around their necks like scarves. My son was next to her just solemnly nodding his head. She told me they're bigger than Grandpa who is roughly 6 foot 2 inches and is the tallest person she knows. And her brother added, But sometimes they're small. Most of the time they stand like people. But sometimes they run like Waffles. Waffles is our dog. They told me that the children told them They're here in case the bad guys come back here. Because the bad guys came from the field behind our house. My kids don't know where the children came from. I'm not sure what to do with any of this information. My son is absolutely terrified but my daughter just thinks she has cool new playmates that only she is special enough to see. All I really know to do is burn a lot of sage once again and salt my doors and windows. So in mini episode 162 the first story that we had was from Kate. And in Kate's story, she talked about the dream keeper, the shadow man that she kept seeing in her peripheral vision, etc, etc. And she talked about the dream keeper not having eyes, but having like little pearlescent dots where the eyes should be. Almost like what stars would look like to a child. Because the shadow person who passed through the fence in this story, with its stars for eyes... Sounds very similar to the shadow person that Kate witnessed in her story with the little pearlescent white eyeballs. Well, well, you know, dots where there should be eyes, which again, very like stars to children. Is there possibly a way to like vet everything that children say before they say it? So we can have like a creepyometer. If it's really creepy, they're just not allowed to say it. You know, they just don't say it to the adults in their life and they just deal with all the scary shit that goes on around them and be done with it. I mean, let's face it, the kids from Stranger Things are pretty well adjusted and they've been fighting monsters for years. So I'm sure these kids are going to be fine fighting monsters on their own. It's probably good for them. It probably like builds character or something. But in all seriousness, I would be salting everything. I don't do any saging because I don't really know that much about it. But it seems to be one of the go-to things that people do when they're trying to cleanse their house. I would also be trying to find out about those fields. What is in those fields? Or what has previously been in those fields? Because that seems to be where this issue is coming from. And I would be asking big old questions about what was there and what is coming out of it to apparently terrorise your children. And what about the children under the floor? Like, what does that even mean? This is the problem with having children is that they leave you with too many unanswered questions and not enough answers for my liking. And strain number three comes from Karen. I lost my two best friends within the last two years. Both rescues we adopted when they were puppies. When my husband and I separated, I moved to a different area of the country and had to leave them with him. 
It broke my heart. I was able to visit them once or twice a year. Each time their reunions were so joyful, with jumping and muzzle-nudging and rolling, even though they were both far from puppyhood, grey and arthritic. My one dog would spend my visit leaning up against my legs whenever she could, as was her habit throughout her life to get extra cuddles. As my visits ended, I would tell them how much I loved them and if they should need to leave this life behind before I could see them again, to come and visit me before they crossed over. One morning I awoke to a text saying that my beloved girl had suddenly passed away in the night. I was heartbroken. The following morning, crying upon waking and speaking out loud to my girl, repeating how much I loved her and telling her I would see her again, I entered the bathroom to get ready for work, when suddenly there was a pressure on my lower legs, but there was absolutely nothing leaning on them. It lasted for about ten seconds, quite a long time to notice something odd was happening, and then stopped as suddenly as it had begun. I will always believe it was her stopping by to lean on me once more for some last cuddles and to say goodbye before moving on. Her brother passed almost two years later. He began to suffer from extreme old age for a large dog. One day he was fine, and the next not. I'd been planning to visit and spend time with him. I knew that he was getting to the end and I wanted to be with him one last time. It was a difficult time for me, as I would also be returning to the area to bury my mom, whose burial had been delayed for more than a year due to the pandemic. As the visit and the funeral drew closer, my dog Murphy took a sudden turn from the worst. I knew I would never see him again. Heartbroken, three days before my visit, my ex-husband and I decided to call the vet to the house to help Murphy pass painlessly out of this life. That morning in Florida, I stood in my kitchen and spoke aloud to the angels, asking them to be with Murphy and to shield him from fear and to take him to heaven and please let me know he was okay. While at the same time, in Connecticut, my ex-husband called the vet and arranged the house call. It was to take place late in the afternoon. My ex-husband asked if I wanted to be called at the time and I said no, I'll know when he passes. That afternoon at 5.19 I got an email I didn't recognise. The subject simply said, Heaven. There was no message attached. Later my ex-husband confirmed that this was the same time period my beautiful boy had passed away. I had never received a spam email like that before or since. I believe the angels were letting me know that my prayers had been answered and that my beautiful boy was in their arms as they lifted him up to romp in the green fields of heaven, reunite with his sister, and await the time that we can all have a joyful reunion again, with jumping, rolling, and muzzle-nudging. No, you are all going to have to stop with these emotional stories. Okay. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't be dealing with pets dying. I can't be dealing with pets coming back to say goodbye. My heart does not be able to cope with it. Some of you might remember that we did an episode that was all about loved ones contacting their families after they die using technology like phones, emails, etc. And I am pretty sure one of the first cases that we looked at in that story was a man who was contacted by his dog from the afterlife. I'm nearly sure it was. And if dogs are capable of like detecting cancer, knowing when you're going to have a fit, whatever else it is, then they're capable of sending an email. And story number four comes from Bobby. Kids are fucking creepy. Not a joke, just a fact. 
and I was no exception to this rule. Between the years of three and eight, I was plagued with night terrors and fever dreams, and I'm sure I traumatised my poor mother when these surreal experiences leaked out into the waking world, mumbling incoherent fears of eyes in the walls and insects on the ceiling. Sorry, mum. Even now as an adult, I struggle to sleep well and straight through the night, and while these dreams are not paranormal in nature, they seem to be intrinsically linked to real world and are just weird but they do make great stories at dinner parties. Many bizarre dreams and experiences from my childhood have stuck with me, but only one is truly ingrained in my mind and still makes my skin crawl when I recount it. It was a Saturday morning and I was five years old. I used to sleep on my front at this time with my face turned to my left so I could breathe. For context, my childhood bedroom was arranged that my bed was in the far corner with the headboard flush to the same wall as the door, and with my head to the left, I was able to look directly at the side profile of the door, with the view obstructed when the door was open. So there I was, sound asleep on my front. I have no recollection as to what I was dreaming about. When I was jolted awake with the pressure of someone pushing hard on my back, so I was forced into the mattress. It was quick, not a long press, and it was hard. Imagine the chest compressions that paramedics gave in CPR, but only one compression straight into my back. It was a very real sensation, and I remember feeling the shape of little hands on the small of my back when it happened. My eyes flew open, to look straight at the door, open 90 degrees, and my older sister, who would have been seven at the time, stood there peeking around the door. She was wearing her pink fleece nightie that she wore as a dressing gown, despite the fact that it was about four inches too small for her in length and down the arms. Her feet bare as they always were as a child, and a fucking shit-eating grin on her face. She giggled, teasing me, obviously relishing that she'd been able to tease me like this, waking me up from the most gorgeous night's sleep. She disappeared from the doorway and I assumed she'd gone straight downstairs for breakfast or to watch cartoons. But I heard no footsteps. I was furious, despite it being a contractual agreement between all siblings universally that they must torment and tease each other well into adulthood, I couldn't believe she had taken it upon herself to wake me from sleeping when she knew how difficult it was for me to sleep in the first place. I jumped out of bed into my slippers and ran downstairs to my mum in the kitchen, having her ceremonial cup of morning tea. She smiled pleasantly and spoke sweetly. Good morning, darling. You're up early. How did you sleep? I jumped straight on the attack, dodging her question. Where is Joe? She woke me up and I'm not happy. My mum looked at me confused, turning her lips into a pout, slowly shaking her head. Joanna is still asleep. She hasn't stirred and I haven't heard a sound from her room. But she came into my room. I saw her. She pushed me into the bed and then laughed at me. I saw her, I protested. But my mum just kept shaking her head and told me to look for myself. I checked our living room to see if she was already up watching cartoons without me, but she wasn't there. My stomach sank. I tiptoed back up the stairs, pushed her bedroom door open just a crack and froze. Cold, dead chills ran all over my body and I just stared in horror at my sister's sleeping silhouette, swaddled and tucked in so tight that she couldn't possibly have been out of bed yet. Joe was the opposite of me, a sound sleeper who once tucked in by our parents at night wouldn't fidget or wriggle. 
She'd sleep stone dead on her back as if she was a vampire, with her comfort blanket wrapped around her head like a blindfold just in case the hallway light disturbed her. The shock stuck with me for a few hours that day. If my sister had been fast asleep all of that time, then what the fuck had I seen? What in the name of Satan's hollow was able to replicate the exact, and I mean exact, image of my own sister? Right the way into details of that horrible, straggly, older than time nighty. I remember asking her about it a few years later when we were 10 and 12, and she categorically denied having ever done anything of the sort, or even having any knowledge of the events. Clearly my mum had never said a word to her. Like I say, it's stuck with me ever since. I've never forgotten that feeling of being frozen to the spot by fear. Fear of the unknown and complete and utter shell shock and confusion. As I grew up, I learned to understand my brain and I now 100% believe that this was a hypnic jerk, known also as a hypnagogic jerk or a sleep start, which are full body twitches or jolts that most people sleep right through but can be powerful enough to wake you. The mimic I saw of my sister is likely to be my brain adjusting to suddenly being wide awake and filled with adrenaline, potentially confusing my very vivid and very real feeling dreams for reality. I've also been prone to exploding head syndrome, which you've mentioned many times on the podcast, as well as third man syndrome during a particularly dark and abusive relationship I had years ago in my late teens, which I don't wish to share many details of. These experiences and understanding of the world have made a sceptic to the paranormal, but still with a questioning eye and ear. I think most paranormal experiences can be attributed to one's mental health or current mental state, or are the result of energy we put out, or which has been contained in our surroundings and environments. It doesn't make this shit any less creepy though. I would absolutely still be blaming my sister. Even if I knew it wasn't actually her, I'd be like, I fucking knew it was actually you, okay? I knew it was you and I'm going to get you back. There's no way I'd let her away with it, even if she didn't actually do it. And I knew she didn't actually do it. It's the perfect excuse to torture her, you know? And I agree. I do think that having a rational explanation, like hypnagogic hallucinations or whatever it is that you think has happened, it doesn't make it any less scary. It's still terrifying. I am very lucky in that I don't have hypnagogic hallucinations or sleep paralysis or anything along those lines. But I think if I did, I just, I would be terrified to go to sleep. I had particularly bad nightmares in the recent past and they just made me not want to go to sleep. Like I was honestly terrified of going to sleep because I was afraid of having nightmares again. So if that's not enough to freak people out, then I don't know what is. And that's with a rational explanation, you know. That's with a rational explanation on your plate. And you can say, hey, this is just your brain doing weird stuff. Sometimes that's enough to freak you out. And story number five comes from Mark. I don't think that this memory that I'm going to recall is particularly scary or spooky. And even at the time, I wasn't really aware of anything being particularly strange. However, over time, over the years that I dwelt upon the memory, it just doesn't sit right with me. I shall tell the tale and you can decide for yourself. About eight years ago when I was 35, I worked at a job that meant working a lot at night. Also at this time, my dad was dying. He had been a heavy smoker and a drinker for most of his life, 
and the combination of these activities was never going to result in someone with a sparkling clean bill of health. So my dad had chronic lung disease and damage to his kidneys. A few years prior to this time he had also fallen down some stairs while drunk. He had been going to the toilet in the middle of the night and was the kind of dad that was too tight to put the light on. As a result he took a misstep and ended up in a heap at the bottom of the stairs with a collapsed lung and a broken back. While in hospital after this accident, the doctors found that my dad also had osteoporosis and so his back would never heal properly. And from that point on, he started the long decline towards the night I'm about to describe. On the night in question, I was at work driving on the road when I got a call. It was my older brother. He told me to get to the hospital where my dad was as it didn't look good and his lung disease was at such a stage that he was liable to pass away at any time. My brother told me to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. To put this in context, my dad has at this point been in hospital in a critical condition for about a week. I'd been called there at least two other times thinking my dad was going to die, but he had regrouped and managed to survive. By this point he was unconscious, and was simply being kept comfortable by the hospital staff, as there were effectively no more treatments that could be given. I contacted my manager and informed him that I needed to go to the hospital. Once that was done, I got myself to the hospital, mentally prepared that my dad might be dead by the time I'd gotten there, or that indeed it could prove to be another false alarm. I'd been to the hospital a few times, so I knew my way to the correct ward within the building. The nurses buzzed me through and when I got into the private side room where my dad was, my brother was already there and my mum was there too sitting by my dad's bedside holding his hand. My dad was lying flat in the bed, shallow breathing, his chest barely rising and falling. And so began the long wait. The truly terrible thing about this kind of death is that it isn't a moment or a defined point in time. It is a gradual decline. An hour passed and there was no change. There was very little we could make small talk about under the circumstances. My mum was clearly distraught and kept weeping, but she was comforted to have her two sons there to support her. My mum bowed her head into my dad's side. I looked at my dad's chest. I couldn't see it move at all. I waited a few moments, maybe 20 seconds, still no movement. My mum wasn't aware because her head was pressed against my dad's side. I looked at my brother and mouthed to him. I think he might have. My brother stood up and had a closer look. I think I'll go and get a nurse, he said. At that point, my dad's chest went up and down again. Maybe not then, said my brother as he sat down in his chair once again. Another false alarm, if you can call it such a thing. This process seemed to repeat itself over the next few hours. And as brothers often are, me and my older brother both had a slightly morbid sense of humour. And under such tense circumstances, it was difficult to maintain a stony-faced silence hour after hour. After a couple of false starts where my dad rallied, I rolled my eyes and looked at my watch as if to say, Hurry up, man. My brother saw me and immediately had to suppress a fit of 100% inappropriate giggles. Once he started, that started me off. So we had this bizarre situation of my mum cradling the arm of my dying father 
while his two sons were trying not to burst out laughing with tears running down our faces. To be fair though, my dad would have found the whole scenario hilarious, so I didn't think he would have thought it disrespectful at all. About three hours had passed, and we were now in the early hours of the morning. Nothing seemed to be changing with dad's condition, so I started thinking about maybe going home. Then something very specific happened. When you've been sitting in a quiet hospital room for hour upon hour, largely in silence, you get a sense of the atmosphere of the place. The smell, the sterile linen, the equipment positioned about. The room had a vibe. And then all of a sudden the entire atmosphere shifted. I wouldn't say it went bad or negative, but it just changed from one vibe to another in an instant. Something felt like it had shifted, like putting a filter over a lens. Everything was the same, but somehow different. I don't know why, but I looked towards the door of the room, which was slightly ajar. I could see through the gap into the corridor. At that moment, I saw a figure pass outside the door, hunched, bent over and slowly shuffling in a hospital gown. The figure passed in maybe less than a second. My brain did not think anything unusual about this and I just assumed it was another patient having a wander. At that point, my mum raised her head and said, I think he's gone. I said I would go and fetch a nurse. I went out into the corridor expecting to pass the patient I had seen out the door a matter of seconds earlier on the way to the nurse's station. But there was no one there. I fetched a nurse and my dad was confirmed deceased at that point. In the rush and stress that immediately follows the death of a parent, I forgot about what had happened. It was maybe a couple of days later when I reflected back and thought about that hunched figure that I saw walking outside the door. Hunched in exactly the same silhouette that my dad would have cast if he was out in the corridor. And right at that time that the atmosphere in the room palpably changed. I was highly emotionally charged at the time. Very tired and drained. So I don't like to make too many assumptions. But we have very few opportunities to be with people at the very point that they pass from a state of living to that which follows after, whatever that may be. I do wonder whether what I felt was part of that transition and whether that figure that I saw was maybe my dad making his final exit. I really don't know. I seem to be saying the same thing over and over again lately. But then, you know, I say the same thing probably multiple times a month in different episodes. But I just think there is so much we don't know about the point of death and what happens at the point of death. Like, I agree, there's a huge amount of people in fact, most people don't ever see somebody at the point of at the point of death. They don't have that experience. And the people who do, not everybody has profound experiences, but a lot of people talk about strange things that happen at the point of death. You only have to look at nurses and doctors who work on wards, whether it's in care of the elderly or in wards of terminal illness. And they will often talk about strange things happen at the point of death. Maybe you did see your father in his moments like passing into the light or whatever happens after people die. I don't really know. But maybe you did. Maybe you in that moment felt that change and saw him pass. My favorite thing about this story, though, was when (laughs) 
when you said you and your brother nearly got the in well did get the inappropriate giggles and I just think in those moments of high stress and high drama like those inappropriate giggles are what keeps you sane they definitely are and if it was me and my siblings and my siblings and I have been in that kind of situation a couple of times where we've been waiting for somebody to die or at least there was one time where my siblings were waiting for somebody to die and I didn't get there until after they had died or somebody has just died and we were in that interim period and all you can do is make jokes like all you can do is make jokes and laugh because how else do you survive I don't even know if it's inappropriate laughter I think it's the most appropriate laughter because what else do you do you laugh or you cry like those are your options and sometimes in those moments that are just so fraught with tension you got to do something to break that tension. And everybody always frowns upon laughing in those situations, but it's the best kind of laughter. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Alva, Orzi, Karen, Bobby and Mark for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from the 17th of January 2022. I can't believe we're in 2022. I feel like I said 2021 in the last episode, but you guys know it's 2022. We're finally there. We finally broke into 2022. If you are desperate for more Real Life Ghost Stories content, you can sign in to patreon.com forward slash Real Life Ghost Stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content and also all of the main and mini episodes completely ad free. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com for any information that you would like about the podcast. And on that note, I shall see you next time.